Well, welcome everyone. Uh, thanks so much for being here. And uh, if you're tuning online, thanks for dialing that way. If you're ever at Montrose, uh, thanks for gathering together. Uh, if you could scooch in a little bit, there's a couple more people looking for seats. Um, and maybe next week, if you're uh, planning to come to Easter, this might be a great chance to check out another time or go check out what Montrose is like. Um, but that's going to be a blast. Make sure you have those tickets. If you have family or friends or neighbors that you're trying to invite out, uh, grab them a ticket as well. And if something changes, uh, I'm pretty sure you can modify that. So it's easy to do and can release those tickets to other people. Um, but it's going to be a great week next week. But I'm excited to talk about this week because this is what I've been thinking about. And uh, my name is Josh. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'm a pastor of Biblical Community. Um, I'd love to meet you if, if we haven't had a chance to interact. Um, but this week is Palm Sunday. Uh, it's basically just the week before Easter. But it's a pretty big moment, um, and we're going to dive a little bit into the story that defines that moment um, and why Jesus is, is uh, even now, like kind of the week before Easter, why that's such a big deal, uh, kind of what he's doing and, and how he's operating. And what we're going to find as we get into this conversation is we're going to find out that there's a lot going on around hope. And uh, Jesus, just his insight into people's hearts and what he's coming to do um, really, we're going to see that he, he sees that there is a misplaced hope. And uh, so I kind of want us to have a little bit of a framework as we go into it because we can easily miss it if we, if we don't see what Jesus is seeing. And so just kind of to start us off, I, I wrote this simple uh, phrase down that I think uh, explains a lot. And I wrote down that we all hope in something and we all hope for something, See, this is why this conversation applies to everybody in this room is because we long for something, whether uh, there's something more out there that, that we're moving toward, we hope we get to see in our lives, or whether we just feel like something's missing and, and we, we long to see that kind of fulfilled and satisfied. And uh, I, that's, I've been using this word just to describe what that thing that we hope for is, and I would just call that a longing, it's not just something you want, it's a deep desire. It, it lives uh, in, deep in your heart in such a way that it actually motivates a lot of what you do. Um, and maybe you, you know what that is, maybe, maybe it's a little subconscious, you're like, ah, maybe there's something there. Um, but all of us are this way. We, we look at our lives and we look forward thinking that maybe there's more. And I would call that a longing. We also all hope in something. And so whether you know what that longing is or maybe have ideas of what it is, um, since it exists in us, we want to see it happen. <laughs> and so we think this thing or that thing or the other thing might be able to achieve that or fulfill it in our life. And if that thing lets us down and disappoints us, there is a whole uh, line of things for you to place your hope in again. And we just naturally do this. We all hope for something, and we all hope in something. And this is what we're going to find about this Palm Sunday story with Jesus, is there is misplaced hope. And so uh, we're going to go to Luke 19, um, and I encourage you to open up the app and go to there, or if you brought a Bible, open up to Luke 19. If you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, uh, and you want to read the Bible without notifications, um, we would love to give you a free copy uh, out of our info desk before you leave today. Um, but we're going to be in Luke 19, and we're going to dive into the story about, um, about Jesus. And let me give you a little bit of context, because a lot's happened. <laughs> um, so Jesus has uh, had about three years of his ministry, where he's been teaching, 
where he's been performing miracles, where he's been sharing meals with people, where he's been traveling, and people have began to follow him. And he's, uh, he's kind of a controversial guy. And a lot of that has happened in the city of Jerusalem, which is where he's going. Um, a lot of their Jewish celebrations and holidays happened in Jerusalem. And so um, people are divided about who Jesus is. Some people think he's the real deal. Like this is who we've been looking for. He's sent by God. They see the miracles. They've heard him teach. They've watched his life. And they say, I, I think this is the guy I should put my hope in. And some people do not see Jesus that way. And they see him as pulling people away from God. They see him as a distraction or as a threat. And there's even stuff in motion, uh, there's things in motion in the city of Jerusalem to have him killed. And so Jesus has spent kind of the last year of his ministry a little bit more on the fringes because of that reality. And people have still been coming to him. He's still been teaching, sharing meals, moving towards the marginalized. But now he's coming back to the city. So all that tension exists. And uh, it's, like, it's like a big deal. So you got to kind of know that. And here's what uh, happens when we drop into the story in Luke 19. It says, as Jesus rode along, uh, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, he's going into the city of Jerusalem, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along. And they were praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. This is what they would say. They would say, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. All right, what is going on? Because they, uh, Jesus is not reading the room very well. They're like, we're here to throw a party for you, Jesus. We're like laying our garments down the road. Uh, in other narratives, it says they grab palm branches and they're just like throwing a party for Jesus. But here we see he's weeping. Not because he's like overwhelmed at how much they love him. Like he, he's sad. His heart is broken. What is going on? Like, what is he seeing? How is he reading this situation? And why is his heart broken? We actually see in another account of the story, he actually says something out loud and, uh, about the city of Jerusalem. He says this in Matthew 23. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings but you wouldn't let me. This is why Jesus is heartbroken, why he's weeping, is because he's entering a city that is known for killing the people that God sends to them, his messengers, his prophets, and they reject him. And Jesus knows that all this celebration, all this cheering, all this fanfare, he knows where the week's gonna lead to. He knows that... Uh, all of that celebration and cheering, you're the greatest Jesus in just a few days, their tune is gonna change to we want you gone. And, and spoiler alert, Jesus is going to die. <laughs> and, and he knows this is coming. He doesn't, he sees through the celebration and he sees their hearts. He sees what their hopes are really set on. And he wants to be the fulfillment of their hope and longing. But he says, you're not going to let me you're actually going to reject me in just a few days. This is what I want us to explore today. Like there's a lot in here. And if we are all people who long 
for something, we hope for something, and we hope in something, we have to kind of analyze our own hearts. What is it that we're longing for? What, what are we placing it in? And how would hope in Jesus be radically different from anything else? Is, is it just the same story? Or does he actually offer me a different kind of hope? And he does. So we're gonna unpack that with, uh, through three things today. And here's the first one. It's more of an observation. The first thing I wrote down was that we tend to make our longings the center of our life. Uh, this is exactly what's happening with the disciples and the crowds and the religious leaders. Um, what they want out of Jesus becomes the most important thing. And this is where you have to be careful. If we all are people of longing, it's not very far that those things may begin to drive us instead of us driving them. You know what I mean? That it starts to kind of control our lives. We get fixated and obsessed with getting one thing or never losing one thing because we think that's what life is all about. And Jesus sees this in, in the heart of the people around it. He hears them cheering for him, but he's like, I actually know you're cheering for yourself. You're cheering for what you want. And you think that I'm gonna bring that exactly the way you expect. And this is why I think like, we're that way. We're, like I cheer for myself. I'm like, this is what I want, God, come on. Um, I, I will pursue that so hard. I will think about that every day. And it, something starts to become the center of my life that I have to have this. If you've never really tried to, I don't know, explore that deeper part of your heart, like what drives you, what motivates you, um, it's helpful to think of it in some categories. Like this is worth exploring and, and unpacking a little bit. And so I wrote down just three categories. There's lots of different ways you could do this, but three for us to explore and to think about like, how do these things reflect the people around Jesus and how do they reflect us? And how can we make them the center of our life? So here are the three categories I wrote down. Significance, security, and satisfaction. These three categories can kind of start to define and shape what those core longings are in our life. So let's, let's unpack them. Um, significance can show up in something that we do or accomplish, right? I want to make an impact. I want to have purpose and meaning in my life. So I, I, I want to achieve something or do something that matters and is significant. But significance can also be relational, I want to be loved. I want, I want to be known and accepted as I am. I want belonging. I want intimacy. And that can be significant because someone picks us. They accept us. And so we, we long for that. This is actually what the disciples are longing for. They belong with Jesus and Jesus is on his way to the top and they are gonna matter. Most of these people are fishermen and uh, people who are on the fringes of society and they're like, this is our way to the top and we know the guy and we're part of his tribe. And so this is what, you, you see it all throughout the story of Jesus. His disciples are continually thinking about what they can get from him that can make them important and belong. When significance becomes the center of your life, and it starts to drive you, you can become fixated on getting one thing. You can become fixated on getting that thing. And I think a way that can show up in our lives is if we start to think that, this is just an example, but like if we start to think that the greatest ideal in our life is that we would be married and have a family, 
that then, then we would really, then we would be loved. Then it would be exactly everything we've hoped for. And sometimes we, we experience that. We get married, we have kids, and it doesn't look the way you expect it to look. Because marriage is hard. <laughs> there, there are many of us here today who are divorced or widowed. It did not go the way we expected. We're, we're in difficult marriages right now. There are some times where you have kids and they're difficult too because <laughs> they don't do what you expect. And all the things you value and you want to kind of control in their life, they're like, you're not gonna control me. And they, they may reject you and they may say, no, it's, it's my way. Your way is stupid. <laughs> and all of a sudden what you thought would be this ideal is less than ideal. Or maybe you never receive those things. You live a single life. Does that mean your life isn't significant? You experience those losses. Does that mean you're no longer significant? You, you can't have kids. Does that, does that mean you can't have this longing fulfilled in your life? Certainly not. But if it becomes the center of our life, it can drive everything. Security is super similar. Security shows up in one sense that we want to be able to provide for ourselves. We want to be capable and competent. We want to have what it takes so that we can make it. But it's, it's also relational. We, want, we don't want to go through life alone. We, we want people there to support us, who will, who will protect us, who will be on our team, people who are safe. And this is exactly what the, the crowds want. This, this is the people who are cheering for Jesus. You're going to be king. We're so glad you're here. They're occupied by the Roman government. Like they feel very insecure. They're overtaxed. They're oppressed. They're demanded to operate and live in ways that they don't want to operate and live in. They, they, their culture is misunderstood. They're taken advantage of. And so they think we have ourselves a new king. He can overthrow the government. Like he can set up something better, something that's more secure for me. And when we make this the center of our life, we, we can wrestle with this too. One of, the, one of just an example or a way that you might do this math is we might think that the way we can get security is through our career and through our bank accounts. That like if we work hard enough and if we look out for ourselves, we can set up kind of our little kingdoms and self-preserve. And so we will work, we'll work ourselves to death we will work multiple jobs. We'll, we'll like try to find that security. We're like, I can get it. If I just maybe get another promotion or maybe if we just like save that up and then we're prepared for that and we never have to go through this. But it's a difficult thing to find real security in your job. I don't know about you guys, but like many of us like are underpaid. <laughs> There's not a lot of security in that. We may get passed up for things. Your, your job is not your family, as much as they may say that. You, it's a deal. There's a contract. Things happen. The market or the economy changes. You may not have enough. Some, something tragic may happen. And it's, it feels elusive that a job or a certain amount of money could really provide the full security and stability we're looking for. Often what it does is it just leaves us more anxious, thinking that we somehow could get it, but we're not there yet. It can't be the center of our life. And this last one, satisfaction, maybe is a little easier to do the math on. You know, we want to be happy. We want to enjoy life. We want to be content. We want to be free. And, and we, we know that, what that might feel like. 
But there's also like a, like a broader idea of satisfaction that life could be whole, that we could have peace or that like we could have justice, that things could be made right, that we could just experience the goodness and beauty that life could be. It's this like ideal. This is what the religious leaders are wrestling with. They think that if they could just run the world their way, they would be satisfied. Like, I don't know if you know much about what it maybe meant to be a religious leader, but they got to drive a lot of what the culture looked like, how people worshiped, how people shared life and community, what people prioritized and valued. They, they shaped people's faith. They shaped what communities looked like. And it fit perfectly in their little box until Jesus came along. And there was no way that life could be good or whole or they could be content unless he was out of the way. And, and this is hard for us. It's easy to think that there's something out there that we need to be satisfied and it's worth pursuing at all costs. And sometimes that just shows up as Americans in the material things that we buy or the experiences that we chase after. These things are, are temporary, but, but we look at what everyone else around us has and we're like, I need that too. There's gotta be a way for me to get that. Maybe that would bring some sense of satisfaction. Maybe it's a better car, or better house, or better clothes. If you have kids, maybe it's better school. Maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, opportunities. Maybe it's a vacation. You're like, if I could just get away from my job for a week, then I could just, oh, that would be satisfying. It's an experience. It's like, if I could just have fun or if I could just enjoy life and could do these things. But when you get that, is it also elusive? Like when you get the next thing, isn't it just not satisfying enough? Like when I was a teenager, the first iPhone came out and I was like, this is it. This is revolutionary, the iPhone. I'm like, I have to have it. I will be so in control of my life and popular and be able to play Tetris on my phone or something now. And uh, then they're like, next year, iPhone 2 is out. You're like, okay, this one will be better. And now we're on like what, iPhone like 14 or 15. You're like, this is exactly like the last one. It's no different. You're just trying to mark it to me. And we get the thing we think will satisfy. And then there's always just something a little bit better. Or we go on the vacation. We're like, oh, that was great. And then Monday comes. And you're like, I have to go back to work. This is awful. Like, I want to go back there. <laughs> or you get the experience and you tell your friends and like, oh, that's so cool. You have such a great life. What an awesome story. And then you can only tell the story so many times until you need another story. It's hard to be satisfied in temporary things because they just can't deliver. There's always something next. And so these longings, we have to be careful that they don't become the center of our life. It took me a while to even realize that things like this were happening inside of me. <laughs> it took like friends and counselors to kind of like start helping me be a little bit self-aware who could like see my life from the outside. I had one friend who was like, yeah, Josh, like you're really driven by this. I kind of took offense to it. I'm like, no way, like I'm totally autonomous. I'm not influenced by anything. Like, I make my own decisions and they just lovingly shook their head and were like, oh, if you could see what I see and you, Josh. That we have these longings and they either drive us or we begin to know what to do with them. 
And and that's worth us reflecting on because Jesus sees this happening in the people around him. It's why he weeps over them. I can see what's actually going on in your hearts. I can see what you're actually longing after and what you think you have to have. And I'm, I'm telling you, you're gonna be disappointed. Like your hopes are gonna be crushed and you're gonna, you're gonna get rid of me because you think that it's my fault, that I don't care. If you're maybe trying to figure out what, what are the things that drive my life the most and, and you really wanna explore this, just ask yourself the question, is there something in your life that you must have or you cannot lose? Is there something in life that you must have or you cannot lose? And there you might find that you've made a longing the center of your life. And it's just worth exploring. Can that thing actually bear the weight of your hope? Will it actually deliver on its promises? Like, is it really worth banking all of life on that thing that you feel like you must have or you cannot lose? Because I think if, that, if it's anything other than Jesus, it, will, it may satisfy for a little bit. It may... It may bring some sense of peace. It may bring some sense of love and significance. It may bring some sense of security, but it will disappoint eventually. And so that's uh, the first thing. Here's the second thing. And uh, it, it comes out of the story as well. God wants to be our hope, but without conditions. God wants to be our hope, but without conditions. See, this is a part of why his heart hurts for them too, is because, I mean, we just read this. In Matthew 23, it said, I want to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Like Jesus' heart is longing for them. He's like, oh, I, I wanna be your hope. Oh, I wanna show you the amazing things that I have for you and the amazing things that I can do, but you won't let me. You have these terms and conditions that you're placing on our relationship. You know what terms and conditions are, right? Like when you sign up for internet and they're like, we will give you internet for this price. And then a year later, they're like, we are doubling the price. And you're like, where was that? And they're like, it's in the terms and conditions. You sign the dotted line. And if you want to keep having internet, you must pay this outrageous price, (laughs) right? We're making the deal. They're giving us the internet. They write the terms and conditions. And what... Jesus is saying is like, hold on a second. I'm here to rescue. I'm sent by God. I am God. And you, you want to write the terms and conditions of this relationship? Like for, for Jesus' disciples, they're on the inside. They, they want someone who uh, can really bring them to the top. And even the night before Jesus' arrest, he's having dinner with them, And he's saying, I'm gonna be taken away from you all and you guys are gonna scatter. And they're saying, no, Jesus, we would never leave you. We would would never give up on you. Really? One of you actually took a bribe and betrayed me in the plot to have me killed. Well, that's not me, Jesus. I would never abandon you. We would never leave you. Really, Peter? Because tonight, tonight, you're gonna deny even knowing me. And, and in the next 24 hours, all of them are going to scatter. They're gonna abandon him as soon as trouble hits. The crowds who are like, yay, King Jesus, we'll, we'll let you be king. 
after he's arrested and he's put on trial, they're literally given the option, the crowds are given the option to have Jesus released or to have an insurrectionist and a murderer released. They're like, well, maybe if Jesus won't give us the kingdom we want, maybe this insurrectionist and murderer will. And they say, we'd rather have him. Release him. They abandon Jesus. The religious leaders are seeing things that are only explainable by God. People being healed, people being brought back to life, people being fed by the thousands, the, the marginalized being restored. <clears throat> and instead of them seeing what they, they should be able to see because they know what God's character is, they say it doesn't fit into our system. And because the disciples, the religious leaders, the crowds, their conditions aren't being met, they're not willing to put their hope in Jesus. And, and Jesus knows this is what's gonna happen. And it's ultimately what leads to them putting him to death. But we don't get to write the terms and conditions of our relationship with God. I really wrestled with this as I prepared to talk about it. Because I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll teach you all that. <laughs> but then God's kind of exposing the conditions I place on him. And I'll be honest with you, uh, even just this week, I've realized how much I've made friendship and community the condition I will base my hope on in God. I, I, will, I have basically feel like I've made this contract with God where it's like, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want, but you have to give me my people, my way. You gotta give me my tribe. And actually, for a season in our life, we, we got to lead a, a life group in our home and uh, it was incredible um, how we got to build relationship that way. It's kind of the Burger King way. We had it our way uh, at our house on our time in the ways that fit into our rhythms and with people who were incredible friends. And we stepped out of leading for a while and that changed. And a lot of our closest friends who lived in our area, who had kids our age, who our rhythms synced up and we just had each other's backs a lot of those friends are in different places now. Some in other states. Just new opportunities. And it changed. And I realized once those things went away all around the same time, that kind of changed pretty quickly, I realized that I shut down. And I said, God, I'm not willing to put my hope in you until you give me this back. Because I require this. <laughs> you have to give this to me. And if you don't, you're not who I thought you were. It's hard to admit. It's hard to admit that I put conditions on my relationship with God. That I will hope in you if you give me my people. And it's not that God takes those things away to punish me. How dare you make conditions? But when they get taken away, they really reveal my heart. It's what he's seeing happening in the people. He's saying, you're all gonna abandon me because... I'm not gonna meet the terms and conditions you want out of this. But it's not because he doesn't care about your longings. He's the one who gave you those longings. He created you, but those things are supposed to point you to him. Not so he can fulfill every desire and want you have, but that so he can show up and do what he wants to do if we would just let him 
that he's like, I want to be your hope, but would you like let me do it my way? Because it's gonna be amazing. It might not even be what you expect, but if you're holding on to this condition, you're going to be let down. Jesus actually is the perfect example of this. The night before he's arrested, he's with his disciples. He's saying, could you guys just stay up all night and pray with me and just be with me? And they're too tired and they fall asleep. But Jesus prays. And Jesus says, God, I don't know if I can do this. God, I don't know if I can go through with this. Is there another way? And he's wrestling with God and he says, but not my will, but your will be done. That, that's, that's the prayer. That's like where God's had to bring me of like, are, are, you got some conditions? Are you willing to say, but not my will, but your will be done? It's your terms, God. You get to define and direct my life. That's the point we're trying to get to when we want to hope in God, but something's keeping us in the way. Not my will, but your will be done, God. We can't miss that, that God cares about us. Even as we experience discouragement and disappointment, it's actually probably because we just put something in the way and we said, God, it has to look like this. But we gotta ask ourselves the question, am I willing to follow Jesus regardless of what it looks like? Am I willing to follow Jesus regardless of what it looks like? Because that's the terms of the relationship. He says, you're following me. And that's, that's not just a duty, that's not just hard, a hard thing to walk through. It's a good thing because he's a good God and he loves you and he actually wants to fulfill those longings but maybe not in the way you would expect. So that's the second thing. God wants um, to be our hope but we can't have conditions. Here's the last thing and I think uh, we're gonna have to explore a little bit further into the story but we have to end on this note. The last thing I wrote down is that God's hope is certain and can endure all things. I'm excited to talk about this. This is gonna be awesome. (laughs) So Jesus' disciples eventually get here. They watch the one who who they're following be crucified, be put to death. Um, I'm totally spoiling Easter for you, but still come back next week. And three days later, they see him come back to life. They see him resurrected. And all of a sudden they realized, oh man, My hopes weren't just placed in what I thought he could do for me, but my hope in Jesus is something that can't be taken away by death, by failure, by unmet expectations. Like Jesus's hope is indestructible and it totally changes their lives. All of a sudden they see the power of God and the hope of God in ways they just could have never imagined. And it doesn't mean that they got everything they expected, it's that they finally found what hope in God means. The kind of hope he wanted to give them and, and they're all in. They realize there's just nothing else in life like Jesus. There's, there's no other kind of hope like this. And I, I wanna take you just to a couple verses that really start to say, why is God's hope different? What makes it certain? What makes it endure all things? Like why is hope in God unlike anything else? So we're gonna go to Romans 5 and just look at three verses. And here's the first one, verse three. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. So this is crazy. We all run into problems and trials, like life stinks. (laughs) 
Life does not go the way we expect it to go. But when your hope is in God, when you encounter those problems and trials, they do not destroy your hope. Do you see this? They build it. Isn't that crazy? I mean, holy cow. What else, what other kind of hope can you say that as I go through the the worst parts of life, those things aren't going to destroy my hope, but they're gonna increase it. Is, this, is, this is what Jesus' disciples discovered, is that like, it can't be taken away because it's in this thing that is certain and his name is Jesus. That it's in this thing that can endure all things. Like that's what it begins to do. The next verse like, talks about how we actually change. It says that we start to develop endurance. Endurance matters to hope because you can't avoid problems. You can't go around them. You can't say, okay, well, I can do that for three months or three weeks. Endurance, when it's based in the hope of Jesus, means that you can make it through all things, no matter how long they are or how difficult they are, because he is with you and he's at the end of them. Not just the escape from the problem, but he's there. He's here and he's there. And so I can be with him here and I can pursue him there because he's with me and he loves me. And character is what develops through endurance. Why does character matter to longing and to hope? Character is what gives you the ability to steward your longings well. Because if we're all creatures, we're all people who long for something more and we think we have to have it now, we we look for something that we call instant gratification, right? We're like, I want it now. Is there any way to find peace? Is there any way to find love? Is there any way to find? And we're like, I need it right now. But when the hope of God shapes you, it gives you character. And so you don't have to neglect those longings or say that they're, they're nonsense, but you can carry them now with a new perspective and with integrity and with patience because God is changing you and he's helping you see what those longings are for and they're for you to pursue him. And that builds a confident hope, a confident hope of rescue that in the end, God will fulfill these deep longings in the ways that he wants to. Here's what the last verse says. This is the best part. It says, this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Isn't that amazing? That, that a hope in God will not lead to disappointment. Not that you won't ever feel disappointment, disappointed, it doesn't say that, but that where God is leading you is not to a place of disappointment. Like, that's amazing. And it's not even Easter yet. This is like so rad. Because he loves you. Not because, not because he's gonna make all of your dreams come true, but because he loves you. And his heart is so for you. There is no one more invested in your life than God is. And he doesn't just have affection for you, but he's given you the Holy Spirit, which is Bible talk for he's always with you. And he's giving you the best resources he has. There's just nothing like this. There's, there's nothing else that we could possibly put our hope in or any greater thing that we could long for in our lives than Jesus. Because he is a hope that will not lead to disappointment. It's based in who he is 
and what he has done and what he will always do. And that one day, whether it's in this life or ultimately he will do this in the future when he makes all things new and he fulfills every longing in the ways that you couldn't even imagine, it will not lead to disappointment. So what if God wants to do something in your life that's amazing, but it's not what you hoped? Are you willing to let him do that? I mean, what if it's just not what you expected, but his intentions toward you are so good? I told you about kind of my friends and how life's reshuffled the deck a little bit. Uh, one of my good friends is a surgeon. Um, it's always good to know a surgeon in case you need to have something cut out of your body. Um, so he's a surgeon. And um, he lives in Indiana now. And I wish that like he still was my next door neighbor. Uh, so instead I have to sign up for half marathons in Indianapolis and put my body through exhausting training so I can spend time with him in Indiana. But I called him up this week and asked if I could share a little bit of his story. Because I don't know if you know what it's like becoming a surgeon, but a lot is out of your control. Um, he felt called, you know, as a young adult to go into medicine and specifically to become a surgeon, which is a pretty crazy thing. I'm like, I don't know what that means. He's like, I don't know what it means either, but I felt like God wanted to do this with my life. And so you go to college and you get a degree in something like biology or something. And he did that. And then you apply for medical school and he didn't get in. And that was very discouraging. Here he thinks God's called him to this. God's gonna use his life in this way. He didn't get into medical school. He ended up working in a warehouse, he said. He's like, this is not what I expected. I thought my life was gonna look that way. But actually, there were some amazing things that God did in that year. It, it wasn't what he expected, but he needed to be f there for his family in some ways. He actually, uh, they moved up a wedding date when maybe medical school might have elongated that. And that year looked a lot different. And the next year, he, he did get into medical school. And he went through that. And then what happens after you finish medical school is basically you go visit a bunch of hospitals and programs and you like rank them from your favorite to your least favorite. And then you just give them to someone and they're like, we will determine the rest of your life. <laughs> and um, the way they did it for him, you know, you give them the paper with all your rankings and they, they called him and his wife up on stage and like for the first time, they're going to hear where they're going. They're like, is it the first choice? the second choice, maybe it's the third choice, Akron, Ohio. They're like, it was the last choice, oh no. <laughs> and so they land here and we met them here at Grace. And I'm like, why are you in Akron? And they're like, we don't know. And uh, they're like, why are you in Akron? I'm like, I don't know either. <laughs> um, and they became some of our closest friends. And um, he would say, they, they kind of, in a crazy way, ended up meeting someone who went to their number one choice. And they were like, that program destroys families. And what they would say is like, we found a second family in Akron that we would have never expected or imagined. That, it was just an amazing thing. And life continues to not go the way he didn't expect. He got a fellowship in Pittsburgh. He didn't want to go there. Wasn't his first choice, but that was an opportunity God gave them. God used it in a unique way. And now they're in Indiana. He's living his dream job, cutting people open and saving lives as a surgeon. And you know what he told me recently? He was like, Josh, I still don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. 
I don't know if I'm like on the right path. Like a lot, like even what I'm in right now, sometimes it's, it's just not what I expected. It's not easy. It's hard. Is it supposed to be this way? Is there something different? He called me over the new year and he's like, I've got a God story for you. And I'm like, oh, tell me it. And he said, I'm in this basketball league at my church. And um, he's like, I don't get to make it all the time because I'm on call and busy schedules. He's like, but I was there this week. And he's like, we were playing my senior pastor's team. And I'm like, I bet that was fun. <laughs> he's like, yeah, weird. I played them like a couple weeks before and um, we happened to be playing them again. And it, it was really bizarre that I was there uh, because a couple minutes into the game, our senior pastor collapsed. And he's like, we didn't know if he passed out, dehydrated, but we started to lose a pulse. And he said, I went and got an AED off the wall. He's like, this is the first time I've ever done this because <laughs> usually I'm in a hospital. And uh, he hooked it up to a senior pastor and he resuscitated him. And the emergency vehicles arrived on the scene. They took him to the hospital. They performed some heart surgeries and uh, he's, he's fine. And he's like, Josh, if my senior pastor would have had a heart attack anywhere else where a, a doctor wasn't ready to immediately shock his heart back, he would not have made it. And I'm like, dude, that, that is a God thing. Like, and, and we're still so, we can still be so easily disappointed when life doesn't go our way. He's like, God had you there for that. Like, does, can that not even bring a little bit of hope that like, even when you go the places you don't expect that God is always with you and he's not leading you to disappointment, but that he's gonna show even in life now that there are ways you can find hope in him. Has he not been faithful to you? Has he not shown his hand in your life? And so that's why I think this is so compelling for us is that, that there's really a hope that will not disappoint or lead to disappointment. Don't you wanna discover that? Like, are, are you ready to make Jesus the center of your life if he's not? Are, are you willing to surrender any terms and conditions that you require to place your hope in God because he just might have something better and he wants to do it in your life? Because guys, there's just nothing like Jesus. No one can fulfill that hope the way he does. What other kind of hope can you purposefully reject and try to kill that will continue to pursue you and advocate for you and offer rescue? What other kind of hope will lay his life down for you regardless of if you deserve it or not? What other kind of hope can promise and deliver on the fact that they will always be faithful to you no matter where you go or who you are with or what you are facing that they will never leave you and they will always be with you? What other kind of hope can handle your failures and mistakes with unconditional grace and forgiveness? What other kind of hope doesn't just offer an insulated and comfortable life, but offers you a free life, a free life that could never be taken away from you? What other kind of hope offers new life beyond death, beyond cancer, beyond catastrophes? There's just nothing like that. And it's Jesus. And so I want to invite the band out and give us just some space to really invite him into whatever it is we need right now. And so Father, um, it's just so easy for me to miss your heart 
And um, it's so easy to place conditions in front of you. It's so easy to place our longings and what we want in front of you. But Lord, if you're doing something in anyone's heart today where they need to experience you in a new way, they need to experience your hope, they need to experience your healing, or maybe they just need you to renew them, God, because they've lost that with you. Would you give us the courage and humility to let you into some of these hardest parts of our life, some of our greatest disappointments, some of our deepest longings? And would you meet us there? Would you show us how you're a better hope? Would you show us how you do not lead us to disappointment, but you are faithful? And in the end, your way will be the one that stands. That you are who you say you are. Bring us to the place you need us to, God, and help us to see you for who you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.